the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, on the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had been that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, "How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken." The word of the Lord. God of grace, as we come to this story and as we come to this uh, place of worship, we come from so many different places um, every week when uh, people file into this place and sit down. There's a reason, um, there's things going on, there's a mixture of belief and doubt. Some of us come in the middle of something horrible or uh, something just, just grating at us, maybe a longer-term issue and it's surfaced again. Or Some of us come on, uh, on the backside of something really good that just happened, and um, it's easy to believe that you're a part of our lives, that you hear our prayer, that you answer prayer, that you comfort us in times of struggle. And, and others of us come, maybe we just come kind of bored and numb to what, what you might be doing or whether you are real in our life right now. And the truth is, whether we come from great faith or lack of faith tonight, um, we all sit here more of a mess than we care to admit. And your response to that, as you show us over and over in these stories, is to move towards us in your grace, to draw to us when we are a mess, when we are broken, to move towards us proactively with your love, sometimes before we make any move towards you. So we ask that with that kind of grace that you speak to us in this time and help us to walk away knowing we have met you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just read a little bit more here. I'm not sure. Um, I think we stopped at, does anybody, anybody see what verse we stopped at? 25? I'm gonna, I made a mistake by not including more verses. I'm going to read uh, from 25 to 35. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two who had happened or then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Now uh, 
this is a, a great story, and it brings up some questions. Let me just start with a few questions that it kind of leaves us with. Maybe it doesn't, it doesn't answer them. It doesn't force an answer. It just brings them to the surface. One of them is, have you met Jesus? Uh, that's a frighteningly simple question. Have you met Jesus? Have you met him on your journey? Have you met him on your spiritual path? Have you met Jesus? Do you have any, any confidence about that? Another question, has your meeting with Jesus, or has your interaction or your connection to Jesus created some kind of deep resonance with you and with your, what you might call your soul? Have you hit a point where Jesus, his uniqueness maybe, something about him, something he teaches, something about him, resonates deeply? There's a fire lit within you. A uh, third question, do you know, if you, if you have met Jesus or if you haven't, do you have any idea where to go to find him? I don't intend to make those questions feel like if you don't know the answers or if you don't have a certain answer, you're in some kind of place or need to feel a certain way. They're just, they're just kind of up in the air. And hopefully as we walk through this, you'll get a, of a picture, maybe some answers as to, as to how you go by answering those questions. I don't know if you've ever been um, in a big city um, using public transportation and you come up from an underground train uh, to the surface streets. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you did a trip to London or, or New York, maybe, in, uh, maybe going to San Francisco and you find yourself on the BART underground and you come up. I've had that before. Um, I, we used to live in Chicago for one summer, my wife and I, and I would have this all the time where, because um, I was relatively new, I kind of knew how to get around. I knew the maps. I knew some of the streets of the common places I would go. But still, I was, I was fresh on the scene. And I would come up sometimes out of a new station that I hadn't come up before from underground. And I would look and see things. And I knew kind of that I was at the right stop. I knew that, but I didn't know which way to go. You just kind of come up and you don't see anything. You don't know. And, and you, you don't see any street signs. And you don't want to stand there just looking dumb, right? And, and you're wondering, if, would I get pickpocketed if I just stand here and kind of get a map out? And so you just start walking, right? And you kind of, you're really looking for street signs. And finally you see something. And usually what would happen, you know, walk confidently in one direction. And then you see it, some signs. You see cross streets. Oh, okay. Oh, and then that building. Oh, and then it must be. Oh, and then you go a totally different direction and then you know where you're going and you get there that i mean this story really wants to draw us in to these two disciples walking along the way and that is the kind of a feeling that is the kind of picture of what happens with these two disciples on the road to emmaus they have this total reorientation i don't know if you notice but they even they're going this way and by the end of the story they turn around and they go back to jerusalem something has happened and you can see what it is. I mean, they've, they're walking along, talking as if Jesus is not there. And it turns out he was. Certainly they're talking and discussing um, scripture and things about the Messiah. Just from the context, we can tell they're, they're sorting that out. So they were talking about scripture and not knowing, not imagining that this Jesus that now died was, on, was in scripture, their, their Jewish scriptures, turns out by the end of the story they see that he's on every page um, and they think they're sitting down just for a, a meal for tired travelers at the end of the day and it turns out Jesus the one who died he's serving them bread 
And they recognize him. I mean, this is a transformation. They pick up, they turn back around, go back to Jerusalem. Let me just, just the first thing that we draw out of this story is that if you are at all looking for Jesus in your story, you're looking for him in your life, you're trying to pay attention to the signs and signals, where is Jesus? One thing is true, is that you are very likely, I am very likely, we are very likely to overlook him, to overlook him. Um, in the story, there's some surprisingly mundane things uh, in terms of this meeting with Jesus. It starts out with this village called Emmaus. It's a very insignificant town. Historians, scholars can't even figure out where that might even be now. Which place was that? It was just an, it was nothing. It was insignificant. And yet it's the journey on to that town that the story takes place. Jesus is so uh, underwhelming in his presence. He's so unglamorous in his physical appearance that these two disciples don't recognize him. And of course, to give them credit, these, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, these ancient people, certainly they believed in things like resurrection. They didn't. They weren't dumb. You know, someone dies, they're put in the ground. They're, we don't expect them to show up again three days later. So they weren't, they weren't certainly looking at this person with them and saying, is that going to be him? Is that Jesus? So they weren't, you know, their, their radar wasn't up like that. But still, there was, Jesus wasn't shining. He wasn't, you know, bright and shining with angels and choirs singing in the clouds. He was just walking along with them, and he was so unglamorous that he went unrecognized. We see this with Mary in the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene. She thinks he's the gardener, and she says, if you know where his body is, will you tell me? And it's Jesus she's talking to. He's so unglamorous. You might overlook him. Um, Christians and people who spend a lot of time in church, you start to see a, a pattern in how uh, churches often represent testimonies of people who have met Jesus. You see that we often put forth the glamorous. I'm, I think city life could say that we've, we've been guilty of that in the past as well. You, somebody has a, a, a maybe a, a fairly glamorous, extreme you know, story of, of something really dramatic, and we say, ah, look, tell your story. You know, let's hear it. And so you get this picture of what it means to, to meet Jesus in your life and to walk with him. Well, what about the rest of, what, you know, if that's one person, what about the other 49 of us? You know, with a, well, we don't have that glamorous story. Um, well, perhaps it happens a lot like it happened in the story. Jesus is just kind of there. You may, be, you may be wrestling with uh, life seems so mundane, so insignificant, or, or these things in life are so frustrating, and I don't see the, the sort of the spiritual white writing on the wall in this part of my life right here. I don't see the touch of angels over here. I don't, I don't feel, uh, I don't get goosebumps uh, about Jesus with this stuff going on over here. Maybe he's there amidst the mundane. Um, I don't know if, if we got any... Chronicles of Narnia fans, but in the, in the second book, depending on how you count those books, um, I think it's called The Horse and His Boy. There's this character called Shasta. And he gets lost, separated from his party, and he's on this journey, and he's in the fog, and he's in this mountainous territory, and it suddenly gets to where he can't see where he's going. Um, he's lost, it's dark, it's foggy. He's in a bad situation. And as he's walking, there's a, suddenly there's this presence next to him that he, uh, that he feels, that he senses, some, something or someone walking by him. And, um, and so then he begins eventually to talk uh, 
to this this great voice, I think is what he calls it next to him. And he's, and he's conversing and he's talking about how, how frustrating the journey has been, all these terrible things that have been happening to him. Um, you know, I got separated from my party. This happened, that happened. And he says, and I seem to have this unfortunate set of circumstances where I keep, keep having these encounters with lions. <laughs> and, and, and finally, the voice speaks. And it's, of course, Aslan the great lion, and he goes through and he says, you know, he lists every single little encounter and he says, that lion there, that was me protecting you in this way and that was me doing this in that way and that was me. And then he says, um, because this character doesn't really know where he came from and what his lineage is and and the lion says, um, or the voice, he doesn't know it's a lion, it says, and I was the one that nudged that boat when you were a child and you didn't know it and you were about to die and I nudged that boat to meet that person at the shore um, to take care of you and bring you back to health. And the next day, Shasta returns back by the same way. And what he notices is he sees that that place where he was walking when he was walking with that great voice, that great lion, was along a cliff with a sheer drop. And Aslan was walking along on that side of him to keep him from falling off the whole way during the fog. We say, we can't see Jesus. I don't know if he's a part of my life. Don't give up. Don't stop journeying. I can guarantee you the one thing that if you want whatever tiny bit of connection you might have to God or to to Jesus, one thing is for sure. If you want to solidify that, that disconnect you feel, Stop journeying. Stop trying. Stop imagining, perhaps, that Jesus is there in your journey already. Keep journeying. And if you do, there's a couple of ways um, that this story brings out also that you might meet Jesus. One is, um, well, it's that you need Scripture open to you to meet Jesus. In verse 32, very, very striking, very, very striking what they say. After the fact, these two disciples, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures for us? Um, I don't know if, does that sound like a realistic expectation for, that that maybe that you have as you open the Bible and read it, that that you're hoping that as you read this and you're expecting that you're going to come out of it with your heart burning, that your your soul kindling, you know, in, in a sense what this, phrase is saying is something resonates deeply with you. Do you have that kind of expectation with scripture? Or maybe you say, well, I've tried to read the Bible, but I got into Leviticus, you know, and uh, I don't expect that with that particular book. Um, When Jesus begins talking with Cleopas, what is going on? What is he trying to do? He starts opening up. He has this Bible intensive that he goes on on this journey. And verse 26 reveals a little bit about what that Bible intensive is trying to prove. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Why is he trying to prove to Cleopas, after Cleopas tells him, you know, all these events have happened and it's been terrible, why is Jesus trying to prove that the Messiah has to suffer? Because Cleopas is like us. Cleopas is looking to Jesus and he's saying, Save Jesus, if he's going to be real, if I'm going to meet him, or, or, or more, the Messiah, if, there, if Jesus is going to be the Messiah, he has to save me from my circumstance. He has to save me from my circumstances. We always do this. 
Um, often we end up sitting in church. We end up coming here, even being willing to sit in a place like this because of some circumstance, something going on in our life, some trouble, some fork in the road. You know, our marriage is in trouble. Um, our kids are in trouble. Uh, I'm still single. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to lose my job or I'm getting paid less or I'm going to lose my home or uh, my kids don't like to eat the food from the co-op. Um, you know, big things. But really, we, there may be some trouble that makes you even willing to sit here. And if you're honest, what, this is kind of the entry way into faith often is that it really is, you know, if I connect with Jesus, if I have some connection with God, if he meets me, this, these, these issues in my life are going to start, he's going to save me from my circumstances in some way. And in verse 20 and 21, you see this with Cleopas. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, the Messiah has to, say, has to save Israel from its circumstances politically. And if Jesus just died and was not victorious in that way at all, then he, there's no way he can be Messiah. There's no way he can redeem. Jesus died how could he redeem? And you almost, if, you're, if you know the story, because we're kind of looking in and we're knowing the story, you almost chuckle if you know a little bit about the Christian gospel theology that connects those two very strong. He died. How, how is he going to redeem? And so Jesus goes into this Bible boot camp on the road. And um, the result is astounding. I mean, this is, by the way, this is totally new information for Cleopas and the other disciple. The idea that, that Jesus can point to himself all along the Old Testament scriptures and that the theme he's bringing up, oh, I wish I was there, by the way. I mean, I'm a Bible nerd. I wish I could have seen this sweeping lecture on, on, on scripture and where, you know, how to understand why Jesus came. But he's doing this and he's bringing out the Messiah had to suffer and he's bringing out Jesus on every page with all the references he's citing from the Jewish scriptures. The result is, is that their hearts come alive. Their hearts are kindled. Their souls resonate deeply with this story of why Jesus had to come, why he had to suffer. Something in there grabs their hearts. I mean, I could stand up here and I could preach a message. I could say, pray hard, people. Pray hard and God will save you from your circumstances. And some of you might walk away inspired to do religious deeds. I could say, pray hard and God will save you from your circumstances. And some of you might um, find you walk away and your nerves are calmed about life. I could say, pray hard and God would, will save you from your circumstances. And some of you might walk away today with your fears relieved. But what won't happen if I say that is that your heart won't be burning within you. You won't have this deep resonance with Jesus that these disciples had on the road. For that, you have to have the gospel lesson, the Emmaus Road lesson that Jesus gives. And I don't know, I wish I knew what Jesus put into this lesson, but I'm, I can't picture it happening without him referring to Isaiah 53 and saying, okay, guys, listen. 
Remember this verse? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Are you getting this? Can you see it? Can you see how we're all like Cleopas? And I can almost guarantee if, if you're having trouble connecting with Jesus, if there's a disconnect and it's big and you can't get around it, there's, there's a good chance that, you might, that you're looking around pointing at circumstances. You're looking at, you're saying, what about this? I got this going on and this and what about that over there? And what if Jesus is going to meet you, but what if, what if he's, I mean, I hope he deals with your circumstance. I hope he answers those questions. But what if he doesn't and what if he just says, you know what? I'm going to meet you in order to deal with your broken heart. I'm going to meet you. That's my main goal. I'm going to meet you so that you'll say, by your wounds, I am healed. And then you'll resonate deeply because you know your wounds. Well, you need scripture open. See what scripture does? You also need bread broken, just briefly. Finally, at the end of the story, finally after this journey, um, this long journey, this big, long uh, Bible-intensive boot camp on the road to Emmaus, then he breaks bread, and they haven't even recognized him up to this point. And finally, when he does that, they recognize him. They didn't recognize him on the road, walking with him, even though they, they had walked with him in the past. They didn't recognize him when he talked about Scripture and brought it alive, even though they'd heard him do that before. They recognized him when he broke bread. Now this, I mean, it, it, this is also, it's significant enough that their, the one thing we're told about their report about what happened when they get back to Jerusalem is they tell them that it was, Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. That's the key detail of the whole story that they tell the others when they get back. And this is so important for us to see because we find ourselves post, uh, post-crucifixion and post-resurrection of Jesus and post-ascension. Where can we expect to meet Jesus? Well, there's all kinds of ways that I don't know how Jesus will meet you. I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with the stories I have got to hear over the years um, of starting City Life Church. But it does seem the case that it's in the breaking of bread that you can expect for Jesus to be working. That there's in some important way Jesus has given us this as a place, as a way to know uh, he's going to be there working. He's working in all kinds of places, but come here and expect that. Um, I don't know if you remember in the early 90s, there were these pictures. It was a total fad, and then they all ended up at garage sales. But there were these pictures that if you stared at them long enough, it was, I could never do it long enough. They never worked. But it, you stared at them long enough, the picture that was always there the whole time would pop out, and you'd see it. Um, I, I couldn't do it. I never figured it out. But that's kind of like what this story tells us meeting Jesus can be like. And in some ways, that's really encouraging <laughs> that you might be sitting there like I was 
every time I went up to one of those pictures and no clue, <laughs> not seeing it. Um, but it's there, even if you don't see it. And it might pop out and you might see it. You're living your life and you're saying, this is just life, this is my job, this is that, this is family, this is that annoying person, this is that annoying family member, this is that problem I always have to keep dealing with. And suddenly you realize Jesus is there with you. Um, You look at scripture and you go, I don't know, uh, fall asleep when I read it. Um, Most of it's confusing, a lot of it I doubt. And then something happens. You start to see... Uh, Jesus and his suffering for your woundedness popping out on every page. This grand story that that was the climax of. And I don't know, you look at the elements, you look at bread and you say, eh, it's bread, I could give you the recipe for it. Or if you're like me and you've experienced this bizarre thing of a catalog coming to you, you know, people who work in churches, catalog comes and you can buy a thousand Wafers for thirteen ninety nine, and you just kind of go, that, that ain't Jesus. <laughs> it's something. And yet, in the midst of breaking bread, you say, I've, I'm pretty sure I met Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, will you please meet us where we need to meet you? We don't know where. We don't know when. Um, We can look back, probably some of us, and see places that you've been real to us and brought about faith. So we invite you into our lives to do what we find ourselves unable to do, to help us recognize you and help those of us we know who our hearts hurt for, who we know could could use your healing. Pray that they might recognize you as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.